Good morning, everybody. Our lector for today is Michael, and we'll be reading Genesis 39. This is Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought him from, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife." How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he, has left, he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me, and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was down there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's care in, in his charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of our Lord. Morning, everyone. Welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we lift our hearts and our hands to you, we ask that you would help us to understand all of the plans for us you have, all the plans you have for us at our jobs, that our work would be holy to you and would be used by you on this, uh, <clears throat> on this mission that you're accomplishing through us to save the world. So Lord, we ask that you would make us Josephs in our uh, jobs and in the sight of all of the people who are with us, so that they need not pay any attention to whatever is under our charge. We ask, Lord, that you would be 
uh, close to us and that you would show us your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I find the most personally challenging, one of the things that, that tests every little bit of my character is to keep a good attitude when I don't have choices. One of the things that really gets my goat is when, for instance, uh, food decisions are made without consulting me. So if you say, hey, let's go to this restaurant, and it's a restaurant I never would have chosen, and then we go into said restaurant, and people order all of the food for the table, and I'm never consulted, that's one of the most difficult scenarios for me to keep a good attitude. I, I'm tempted to taste it and then go, eh, it's all right, but such and such thing would have been better. If they'd asked me, I would have known that. I would have told them that they should order this and not that. Something, and in the society that we live today, we have so many choices about so many things. We, we have grown up, most of us, in the era of Amazon, where if you want something... You can look for it, you can find it quickly, you can get it within probably about two days, and you're set. Choices are a huge quantity of what we do. And because of that, I think most of us have difficulty dealing with concepts in the Bible where people have good attitudes despite all of their choices being stripped away from them. When we look at these people, we say, man, how did they keep a good attitude and not fall into the, the quagmire of, of self-pity and grumpiness and just allow themselves to be brought all the way down? And in today's reading, today's reading is the, the most, to me, the greatest example of that, probably in the whole Bible, of someone who faces complete, the tearing down of their life and maintains a good attitude. The only other competitor I can even think of would be Job. And, and Joseph manages to get less grumpy. He stays more, more joyful and more uh, determined. Now, to understand the story of Joseph, you kind of have to understand where he's coming from, especially if, if this is your first time hearing this story. You may look at this guy and say, oh, hey, this Joseph in this story is kind of a uh, kind of a Mary Sue. He's kind of he, he seems like he does everything right in the story. He just seems like he's this perfect, awesome guy. And the, boy, is the Bible populated by these guys that are just like Captain America wholesome? And the answer is no, not really. The first see when we first meet this guy, Joseph, he is the. His father had two wives, talk about a toxic family, and he was, he was the first son from the wife that his father loved. Again, super toxic. Um, the Bible, by the way, talks about people having multiple wives, but you'll never find a happy family that has multiple wives. So anytime someone told you, uh, it's okay to have more than one wife, the Old Testament says it's okay, that, that's a surefire sign the person has not read the Old Testament. There are no happy families with multiple marriages in the Old Testament. that The wives want to kill each other, the kids want to kill each other, it just is a, a huge toxic mess. But Joseph grew up as the spoiled kid. He had the favor of his father, he got the best stuff, 
famously the coat of many colors, whether or not that's how you should translate it. He, he, was, the, he was the snobby kid that was, that was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was the, he, he's a tattletale. He's, te- he's, telling my, uh, he's telling his father, here's what all my brothers are doing wrong. And when he one day has a dream that, that says that he's destined for greatness, that one day he'll grow up and become like this great lord and, and his brothers will bow down to him and things like that, this little, this little punk actually decides to tell them out loud. And his, his mother and, and brothers and dad are all like, like, if you knew that, why did you have to tell us, huh? Because, this, because Joseph is, being, is growing up to become a little punk. And one day, something happens to him he did not expect, which is that he messes around and he finds out. He goes to, he goes to, his, he goes to his brothers out in the field, and after they throw him in a well and, decide, and the, the one brother talks the other ones out of killing him, they sell him into slavery. Right? So... And he ends up being sold into slavery down into Egypt. Now, being a slave in the ancient world is being, in many ways, kind of like a donkey or a cow or a sheep. It's to be, it's to be property, not to be human. And because of this, you would Im- if I was a spoiled little kid, maybe in my mid to late teens... And I suddenly found myself in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language and I was being sold as a slave. I think this is the area where we would start experiencing all kinds of depression and self-pity. In fact, um, I kind of appreciate the, uh, the, the, the elevation language of today's worship set, talking about lifting your hands. Because if you'll notice in, in uh, Genesis 39.1, it says, um, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And when they say brought down to Egypt, they don't just mean like he was north and, he, and they went south. And on a map, that's, that's down, so they went down. No, the reason they talk that way is because in the minds of the biblical people, Israel, and especially Jerusalem, is like a mountain. And up on the mountain, you meet God. You're close to heaven up on this mountain, which is Israel. And anywhere else you go, you go, you go down. And when you go back to Israel, you go up. You're, there is the presence of God. And it was like Joseph was leaving the presence of God and going into this dark, damp, pagan land, which is bad enough if you're not going into slavery. And he was going into slavery. So it would be easy for him to feel like he had descended into the pit, like he was dead even while he was alive. Incidentally, we talk a lot, we, we raise our hands during worship. When we raise our hands, it's like we're making our body into a little mini mountain, saying, saying I am going up to God, right? And we're, we're just doing it physically with our, with our bodies. So that this is like one of the ways we show, Lord, I'm, I'm getting close to you. But Joseph had gone all the way down. And as he cratered out there in, in Egypt, this is where most people... And if we're being fair, most of us would probably self-destruct. Because one of the most powerful tools the devil has to try to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us is self-pity. 
Because self-pity says, oh, man, here I am in Egypt. Like, I, I know I was, I was kind of a spoiled kid, but man, look at all the terrible things my brothers did. Why, if, if God was fair, why wouldn't they be here in slavery in Egypt? Why am I the one who's here? I'm the only one who wasn't messing around. I'm the only one who's doing the right thing. I was the only good kid. And before you know it, you know, your face is screwed up. Your face is all screwed up in a snarl. And Joseph could have tried to join the first gang he could get a hand on. And he could say, let me run away from my master. Let me see what I can do. And so help me, I'm going to do whatever I can to get revenge. And that would be a very reasonable way of thinking. That would be, let's, let's call that the American action film way of thinking. That, that, that starts with self-pity and transitions into anger. And maybe if you, some people never get past that anger phase, but maybe you might get beyond that into like despair and depression where you say, oh, ain't no way out. And you just like bottom out. But Joseph even though he had descended into the lowest part of a pagan land away from the presence of God, did not give up. He did not fall into self-pity. And this is an important thing because when we look at a theology of work, our first tendency, if we hear a message on this, if we have self-pity really like built up in us, like layers and layers of sediment of self-pity in our heart, the first thing we'll say is, oh, sure, Pastor David, talk about being faithful at work. You don't know my job. And the little self-pity bug kicks in, and you say, there ain't no way to be so faithful at my job that God will bless me. My job is a, is a you know, just this, this toilet of a job. And this is why you need to understand where Joseph found himself. Because Joseph was, was at the bottom of the pit, man. He was, he was in trouble. And if you and one of the kind of the jokes you might say of Joseph's life is you, you keep thinking he's reached bottom and he finds new bottoms to go even lower with. And it seems like the more faithful he is, the more it seems like God has forsaken him. And that this is one of the kind of the, the just the really magical parts of his story is that he keeps going and he keeps saying, I don't care what my circumstances are. I'm going to remain the same person. And this is, a, this is a big part of how the Lord is working in, in Joseph's life. See, the, when God gave Joseph the dream that said, one day you are going to rule over basically everybody, Joseph wasn't ready to handle it yet. He had never had to really work hard before. His brothers were out in the fields, and he went out to go visit them. He wasn't the one working Joseph had never had to work a hard day in his life, and now suddenly here he is, a slave. And slavery taught Joseph what he needed to know. He needed to, he needed to learn what it was to, to not have everything handed to him. He needed to learn what it was to be faithful when he had nothing, so that the person he was, that the person God needed to be could be forged. Until he had nothing, he absolutely could not be trusted to have everything. And, spoiler alert, Joseph is eventually going to be lifted to the place where he does have everything. And the only reason he's able to do it is because of this chapter right here. So he's brought down to Egypt as a slave. 
And it says, interestingly enough, the Lord was with Joseph. And this is, if we're being honest, the key to understanding the entire Joseph narrative. Because you might say, well, gee, look at Joseph's many virtues. Look at his integrity. Look at his consistency. Look at his self-motivation. Look at his determination to stay pure and remain an Israelite, even when there's really no, like, external incentive for him to do so. And you might say, boy, look at what a saint Joseph is. But Joseph's sainthood doesn't come from some, like, special character of him. It's not like Joseph is made of, like, marble, and all of us are just made of flesh and bone. What it is about Joseph that makes him special is very simply that he knew the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was with him. And this is really, if you were to get right down to it, the key to integrity right there. How many of you guys are tempted to sin when someone whose opinion of you you really care about is literally right next to you? Anybody? How many people are how many people are deterred from sin? Whether or not you really want to, you won't sin when someone whose opinion of you you really care about is sitting right next to you. Yeah? Joseph understood that when nobody else was watching, that the Lord was with him. And if everyone else's opinion of him failed, this is the one opinion that Joseph said, this is the one I can't lose. This is the one I have to care about. See, he never knew if he would see his father again, whose opinion he really cared about. He didn't know if he would ever see his brothers again, who, is a, who he might have felt a little ambivalent about how he felt about their opinion. But the Lord would be with him no matter where he went. And that was why he knew this was the one thing he could not compromise. And this is going to be a big one for how we are at our, at our job. Because in the moments that we, that we are sitting at a desk, maybe safely hidden by our cubicle, if that's the sort of job you have, there may be people who will check up on you, but there may not be. And in the times where we have to decide, Ugh, am I going to be faithful? Am I going to do a good job? Am I going to do kind of just what I need to to get by? Or am I going to take that extra step? If the difference between knowing that God is with us, between saying, well, Holy Spirit, you know, I care about your opinion, and then continuing, might, be the, might really be the difference about whether we go for it or whether we say, nah, not today. And this, this, so this is really the key point in Joseph's life. He does not have time for self-pity, but he does recognize the Lord is with him. He was in, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. 
I mean, for, it's easy to read this passage and say, man, what confidence Joseph had. What an amazing administrator he must have been. What a hard worker he must have been. What a master communicator he must have been. And we can praise Joseph's professional skills to high heaven. And yes, he must have worked really hard to develop those professional skills, especially starting from basically zero. He didn't learn any of it in his youth. But what, but what we should be taking notice of here, probably more than anything else, is that not only did the Lord have favor on Joseph's life, but his master noticed that the Lord had favor on his life. And this, is, and this is one of those statements that may not strike us as especially bonkers until you realize just like how religious a place um, Egypt really was. If the passage had said, uh, and Potiphar noticed that the gods had taken an interest in Joseph's life, like that, that would have been enough to be, uh, to be like, oh, hey, Joseph was really successful. But it might not indicate the true extent of Joseph's influence. He says, no, he noticed that the Lord had favor on Joseph. He said, man, you're, he, he said, you're incredible. Who is your God anyway? And for Egyptians, this would have been a very natural topic. They were a lot like, let's say, Hindus are today, where they were, where they were exceedingly comfortable talking about religion. And not only that, they, they, the Egyptians thought about gods kind of the way that we would think about brand names. If, you're, if you smelled especially nice, they might ask you for your brand of perfume. You might ask someone for their brand of perfume. And if someone was especially successful back then, you might ask them what god they were devoted to. I mean, it was literally just viewed like that. Like, oh, hey, your God is the Lord. That's cool. Like, you're, you're really successful. And here is, uh, here is Joseph, a walking advertisement for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his fathers. But what I find the most remarkable about this is that Joseph was known for being so efficient, so reliable, so uncorruptible, that it says that whatever Joseph said, I got this. Potiphar said, I don't even need to think about this. Now, if we're being honest, most of us do, are not on the level of Joseph here, okay? This is a goal for us to attain to, rather than saying, you better hire me, man. I'm a Christian, and we Christians, you can give us whatever you want, and we don't, you know, you know we got this. And part of how you know that we don't, um, we haven't obtained this yet, is that we have a hard time even living up to all of our responsibilities in church to say nothing for our jobs, right? How many people were on time today? How many people were early today? You know, it's, uh, I'm not really looking for hands here, okay? But it's, but it's, but part of what made Joseph so powerful was not the, the value of his preaching. And if, if anything, I, I, I really doubt Joseph's ability to speak eloquently in Egyptian for the simple reason that, have any of you guys had to learn another language like as an adult? You, you had already reached the point where your mind was pretty formed, and then you said, okay, let me speak this other language. Bonus points if it's a language in another language group. Because Hebrew and Egyptian are not in the same language group. They're in different language groups. Anybody, anybody learned another language as an adult? And then, had to, and then especially if you have to speak it a lot? Okay. 
Joseph is learning to speak Egyptian, but his Egyptian must have sounded funky, okay? He was, he, he was probably misusing grammar. He was probably speaking in silly ways. The Egyptians who heard him definitely knew he was a foreigner. In fact, the Egyptians who saw him probably knew he was a foreigner. Because after all, he was a Jewish guy. And as I can tell you from experience, Jewish guys are pretty hairy. If you look at, if you look at Egyptian art, and we have lots of Egyptian art, Look at what the people look like in those pictures. Are any of them particularly hairy? Not really. So people saw him right away. They said, you're not from around here. They heard him right away. They said, you're not from around here. And yet, they recognized that this was a man who was uniquely blessed. And he was so incorruptible that you didn't even have to worry about whatever he was doing. Except there was this one thing. And it, and it just goes to show you, by the way, that no matter how perfect you are, nobody can eliminate the possibility of having enemies. We, we do not get to choose whether we will have enemies. If you're like, I've done everything right on my job, and there is still somebody who hates me. I mean, okay. Look at, we look at the life of Joseph, we start to see that too. He begins to have, there are, even when he is a perfect, I don't even dare to call him an employee because he's a slave. But even when he's a perfect worker, what does Potiphar not entrust to him? His food, right? Oh, why is that? It's because if you are, especially if you're an, an ancient person, having someone who works for you who is too successful is threatening. Because what if that person is less replaceable than you are? What if you have an employee that is so much better that people start asking, hmm, I wonder if this guy could do your job better than you could. Then, then you start getting pretty nervous, don't you? And he said, well, I, the one thing I don't want is I don't want Joseph to poison me and replace me. So he won't let him handle his food. He says, food? Nope, that one's off limits. Everything else? Sure, let's go. So you could see that there was already this seed here, this one little suspicion that might be able to, to be uh, hooked in, which is simply that Joseph was too successful. May we all have this problem of having to deal with weird enemies because the Lord has made us too successful in our jobs, right? But I'm going to reiterate this point again. Part of what made Joseph so successful throughout his entire life is that once the Lord had formed him, had forged him, had made him a hard worker, had given him the sense that the Lord was with him, he remained the same person in all of his circumstances. And he did not allow himself to be, to, to be uh, counter-transformed by, by self-pity or by, uh, by anger, by bitterness. He allowed himself to focus on what God was going to do with him now. And this is going to matter a lot because, because in this period of like Joseph having been given this, all of this success within Potiphar's house, he must have started to feel really good about himself. He must have started to say, oh, hey, look, I'm like a rising star in this house. God has blessed me. He is with me here in Egypt. And you must have seen that the way he, he is has started to change. The Bible says that he was handsome in, in, in form and face, which is, uh, I always love those little biblical euphemisms for telling us that a guy is hot, but 
That, 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 that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying he had a great body and he had a great face. And here he is in, in, in Potiphar's house, and he started to stand like this instead of standing like this, right? He no longer really looks like a slave. He no longer really feels like a slave. He's saying, hey, the Lord is blessing me. And right at the moment, the Lord hits reset on his life. Because his, because his master's wife takes notice of him. Not the kind of notice Joseph was hoping for. And, you know, whenever I read this back in, back in the day in children's Bibles and Sunday school, I always thought of this as a one-time deal. I always thought that one day she came to him and said, hey. And he went, nope, and he noped his way out of there. And she got upset. But I didn't realize until I was really reading this through that this was a day-by-day thing. She was, like, sexually harassing him on an everyday basis. It says she was, she kept calling to him, but he wouldn't be in the house with her. He wouldn't lie down next to her. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he just repeatedly noped her until one day she corners him in the house. When I, when I saw this one in illustrations, I always thought of it as being, um, like he was wearing like a cloak or something, and she, she grabs him and he's wearing like an undershirt underneath. But like, you see enough Egyptian art, you notice they just wear that like one little white little skirt thing. Like, that's what men wear. So she grabs it, and he runs away naked. And if you ever want to tell someone, hey, I didn't proposition your wife, the worst way to be found is naked, right? So it's, so here he is. He's been completely set up. He's done everything right. This is the point where, again, if most of us were Joseph, this is where self-pity would come attacking us again, wouldn't it? This is where doubt would start assailing us again, isn't it? We would say, oh, man, I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I had turned it all around. I thought that I was no longer the same spoiled little brat I was when I left my family, and that now I had found my way back to God. I had started working my way up the structure. I thought the Lord was... And we would start saying things like, I thought the Lord was with me. And in that moment, if we find ourselves saying, I thought the Lord is with, was with me, may the Lord deliver us that we might have faith in that moment. That we would be able to add on to that, and he still is. This is where I think you can really see jo- how Joseph was much greater. This is where you see Joseph's true greatness. Because almost anybody can build themselves up to, to be somebody. Almost anyone can learn discipline. Almost anyone can learn hard work. Now, most people don't, but anyone can. But the hardest thing that Joseph builds up is the determination to remember that the Lord is still with him. And as he is framed by an evil person who, who who sent him to the depths of prison for doing the right thing, he still dares to believe that the Lord is with him. He still dares to be the same person. He says, well, this is screwed up. And maybe he's going to God and saying, why, Lord, why is it like this? Why must I be be brought low again just as I started to climb out of the pit? And if if the Lord was to answer him, he would have said, it's to prepare you for who you will one day be. But I don't know if Joseph was ready to hear that right, right here and now. But what he did need to hear was, I am still with you. 
and it's going to be okay. So Joseph is, is, is sold down into prison. And prison in Egypt, if I was to make a comparison, I don't think I could compare it to an American prison. Because in an American prison, you have like food security. You don't necessarily have like security from other people. And people are probably the worst thing about an American prison. But in Egyptian prison, there was real like privation. You were, you were going to face astounding physical hardship. And, and here he is in prison. He has nothing. And he finds himself starting all over again. And what we find is the Lord is still with Joseph. And he was there in prison. This is verse 20. But the Lord was with Joseph, see there it is again, and showed him steadfast love, chesed, for those of you who, who care about that word, <clears throat> um, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So let's talk about favor here for a second, okay? Lots of people, especially folks who have been in the church a long time, you've learned by now, I'm sure, to pray for favor in professional situations. In relational situations, you say, Lord, give me favor at my job. Give me favor with all the people I'm talking to. And what we mean is, may all of them view me well, see the, see the work that God is doing in me, and may they like appreciate me. And usually what we have on our mind when we talk about getting favor is, like Joseph or like the other kind of similar story, Daniel, we have this idea that our life will be full of wins and not very many losses. We'll be the, uh, we're going to be the professional Floyd Mayweather. We'll win all of our fights and take no damage doing it, right? But what the, but what the, uh, but what the Bible actually teaches us to expect is, as long as the Lord is with us, his favor will indeed be on our lives. Like, that is just a given, Okay. But look at, what they, look at what Joseph has to go through. This is the, to uh, kind of reword the old Jewish joke. You might say, man, if this is God's favor, I'd hate to see his anger, right? Being falsely accused and brought down below slavery into prison. And yet, how can you tell that the Lord is with Joseph? It's because if he's sold into slavery, he succeeds in slavery. If he's brought down into prison, he succeeds in prison. All of this to say, the circumstances of your job are probably less than ideal. You, and it is very possible that, like Joseph, you may have people on your job who have, it in, who have it in for you. And, like Joseph, you may even have times in your life where those people who have it in for you may succeed for a time and for a season. But when that time and that season arrives, the voice of the evil one is going to come to you. And when he comes to you, he'll bring you, guess what? Surprise, self-pity, and doubt. He'll say to you, oh, if God really is with you and he really has favor on your life, how dare this person be promoted above you when they came from below you? If the Lord really loves you and has a good plan for your life, how dare this supervisor be honored when you are being shamed? If 
and then and then you'll start getting into the devil's like favorite favorite strategy. Did the Lord really say? Has God really said? Which uh, is what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, and what he's been saying ever since. That has did God really say? See, this is about the point where where Joseph has to be starting to doubt whether the dreams that he had were really from God or not. He's saying, man, if the Lord was really determined to raise me up and make me someone great, why am I down here in the, in the ditch, in the pit? And Satan is going, did God really say? Maybe that was just, maybe you just had too much uh, hummus the night before. And, and, but Joseph was determined. And he said, you know what? Whether that word comes true or not is immaterial. What matters right now, what is relevant right now, is that the Lord is with me, and I don't want to lose him. So who I am is not dependent on where I end up. He goes, if there's, something, if there's, somewhere, lower than the, if there's somewhere lower than the prison that I might find myself, Joseph said, I'm going to have to be the same person there, too. And this is, this is the great test, isn't it? I, I labeled this sermon integrity at work. And what integrity is, above all else, is being true to what we know is right and being true to, to the work that God is doing in us, regardless of what circumstance we find ourselves in. That the circumstance is irrelevant because what really matters is where we, who we are and where we stand with God. One of the ways you know that your identity has gotten too wrapped up in your work is how you feel about getting laid off. What happens when you have to relocate? What happens if some life-shattering, earth-breaking uh, change happens to you? And when those things get shaken, whatever remains is what's, what's actually valuable. And, some, and part of, so part of why when Joseph was being held back by the favoritism he was being shown within his family, the Lord has simply removed him from his family. If Joseph was, whenever Joseph was starting to say, oh, hey, I'm becoming successful, the Lord had to bring him back to square one, lest he say, I'm, I'm awesome, the way that he may have believed when he was young and, and naive. To the point, and until he was brought to the point where he said, who cares if I'm awesome? I just cared about pleasing the Lord who was with me. That's when he became ready. Because the Lord did have plans to put everything into Joseph's hands. And by the end of the book of Genesis, you'll see like the dude is unfathomably wealthy. He is quite possibly the most powerful man in the world by the end of the story. And if you know anything at all about history, you know that that's a position that messes people up. Hardcore. People who are nice people, good people, you hand them a whole lot of power, the power to say, ah, I don't like that guy, kill him. And that screws with people big time. And the Lord didn't want Joseph to be screwed with. And this is why he was preparing him. Through the forge, through the fire, through hardship. And this is why he was teaching him integrity. Because once you have the integrity to be the same person in a low place, that's when the Lord knows he can trust you to be the same person in a high place. Or to, or to put it in the words of Jesus, he who is faithful with a little bit 
will also be faithful with a lot. Whoever is not faithful, even with a little bit, will also not be faithful with a lot. And this is, this is very much what the story of Joseph is. So when Joseph crash lands in prison, he's there. He's got nothing. What does he experience? But the, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Did you catch that again? That's repetition. When the Bible repeats something using the same words, as the Bible kind of likes to do, that's its way of signaling to you that it's important. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So again, the Lord is shining his name into Egypt. He is elevating his name above all the usual gods that the Egyptians called on. And people are starting to ask him, hey, who's your God again? Like, dude, I've never met anybody like you that would, that would be so uncorruptible, even in prison. Like, why again? Where do you come from again? What's the name of your God? What are his ways? And, there are, and he is starting to actually be a bright and shining light. Not, not in spite of, but because he has been dropped in such a dark and evil place. Joseph has, ref- even though he has been brought low, and then been raised up and brought low again, and oh yeah, by the way, in the time that, that, that eventually it will look like God is about to deliver Joseph, that the, the famous dream that he interprets, that uh, he thinks is his ticket out of jail, it will be, God will leave him there two additional years until it comes back up to the surface, and he actually gets out of jail, and he actually gets elevated. In other words, if God is with us, if he has favor on our life, if he, if he makes it so that everything we put our hands to succeeds, that is a reasonable expectation for us. We can pray that over ourselves and lift up our chin and believe that will be true for us at work. We can say, Lord, make me so consistent. Make me such a worker that, that, that my supervisors know whatever they give me, it's getting done. And they don't even need to think about it because it's that settled. Will that be discipline? Yes. There will be discipline in accomplishing that. Can we expect that the Lord will be with us in it? Yes. Here is where the prosperity gospel folks get it wrong, okay? Because at this point, you might say, hmm, Pastor David, where is the difference between this and the prosperity gospel? Well, the difference is this. The prosperity gospel has, remembers that everything Joseph put his hand to succeeded and forgets that, uh, that Potiphar's wife framed him and got him sent to jail. It remembers that Joseph succeeded in prison, and it forgets that the cupbearer forgot about Joseph and he spent two extra years in jail. You can have integrity at your workplace and still suffer, and still have a lousy job, and still find that things are, are, are you still have big problems. And that's normal, okay? That's not a bug in the system. That, although, this is going to be how Satan pitches it to you. He's going to say, you are a bug in the system. In fact, that's about your value as a bug, right? Cause it's, cause he, and he's going to start saying, maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe you don't have enough character. 
maybe God's promises aren't what you thought they were. Did God really say? And once you get to did God really say, this is the point where you're like, shut up already. I know what God said. But, but when we get there, the temptation is to, going to be to say, this has broken down. This has failed. Let me try it another way. Maybe I'm expecting too much. Maybe I'm hoping for too much for God to be with me at my job. Maybe I should just like settle for God being with me at my work. And if you had that mindset, that would be like Joseph saying, my only hope is to escape Egypt and get back to, and get back to the promised land. If only I get back to the promised land, everything will be fine, right? Because God is there in the promised land. The promised land was sort of the church of, of Joseph's experience. But Joseph dared to believe that the God who was with him in Canaan, in the land of promise, would also be with him in Egypt. He was willing to believe that the God who was with him as a slave would also be with him as a prisoner. He dared to believe that the God who was with him as a prisoner would also be with him as a, as a lifetime prisoner, as a career prisoner. And because he chose to be the same person, that the, the relationship he really cared about was the one between him and the father. That was why he was, that was, why he was capable of obtaining like maximum prosperity. So let's believe God to be with us at our job. Let's believe him that he will give us favor with those who are working with us. And what that favor means is not that we will face no adversity, but what it means is no adversity will hold us back from the plan that the Lord is attempting to accomplish through us. The mark of Joseph's ultimate success is not that he was undefeated, it's that, at the end of, it's that at the end of his journey, he was the champion. At the end of the journey, he accomplished all of the purposes that God had to do with him. And by the end of the story, Joseph is vizier of all Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh. And honestly, he has, in many ways, a more important job than Pharaoh. And he who is brought down to become a slave, at the, at the height of Joseph's power, when famine comes upon the land of Egypt and he has successfully saved Egypt from the famine, all of the people of Egypt will come to him and offer themselves, to, will offer him that they will sell themselves into slavery, and he has mercy on them. And a little red part of the Joseph's narrative there during the, the seven years of famine. He says, nah, he goes, we don't need you guys to be slaves, just like pay us taxes instead. And they go, all right, we'll pay taxes, it's better than death. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. But but Joseph, because he had already determined that he could live with being lower as long as God was with him, he was able to be elevated higher without danger. Make this the goal of your life. If your job sucks now, you should be like, yes, perfect. This is the, this is the training ground. This is the tutorial. This is chapter one. This is where I'm like fighting slimes because the, the, the end of the game bosses are too powerful for me, right? What do you do when you're at level one? You grind experience, right? What do you do if your job is terrible? Grind experience. Learn to be faithful. Learn how to do a good job. Learn how to, say, learn how to let your yes be yes, your no be no, 
and actually communicate verbally which one you mean. Underrated skill right there. Learn while you're, learn while you're in a trash job what it means for the Lord to be with you and to be uh, uncorruptible. To say, I am not compromising my values where I stand with God for the sake of mere circumstances. This is integrity. And if you learn integrity in the low place, that's when the Lord is able to elevate you and you're able to deal with higher places. Does it mean there will be no setbacks? LOL, have you even been listening? There will be setbacks. And in those, and in those times, you will be tempted to doubt the entire system. You'll say, well, why was it even worth it learning integrity if I'm just going to go backwards sometimes? Because the point is, at the end of the day, not to avoid setbacks, but the point is to reach the pinnacle of the mountain. It's to get to where God is. It's to allow God to use you on the greatest and highest level. And this is why, at the end of the day, when we worship, we lift our hands. Because when we lift our hands, we're saying, Lord, I don't know what this week's got. I don't know what I'm going to face Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know I'm going to work for you. I know I'm going to face opposition. But when I raise my hands, I'm saying, here I am, Lord, pick me. Take these hands. And when I raise my hand, I'm facing the evil one, and I'm saying, catch these hands. And this is what Jesus did. As he, as he went to the cross... And as he faced the ultimate suffering for the sake of his work, the, uh, the Jewish people, right before the time of Jesus, correctly identified that, that Messiah would be a king and also correctly identified the Messiah would have to suffer. They were a little mixed up about how, but they said Messiah is the son of David, the, the, the conquering king, but he's also, they would say, the son of Joseph, the suffering Savior. And Jesus allowed himself to be lowered to the lowest place. The cross was a place of slavery. Uh, Spartacus, the famous uh, leader of the slave revolt in Rome, was crucified. People who were slaves and thieves were crucified. Respectable people were not crucified. And Jesus, who allowed himself, who is allowed to descend into the lowest place, whose enemies triumphed over him for a time and a season, when he was on the cross, I'm, he, he might have been tempted to face the same self-pity, and he might have been asked that same question, did God really say? He was doing something he had never done before. He was facing sin. And he who knew no sin was separated from God for the first time. He suffered the ultimate loss. He was brought lower than anyone in all of creation at the cross. But at the cross, he said, whatever my circumstances are, I will obey the will of the Father who sent me. And in obedience... He conquered, and he overthrew the evil one, and he brought us out of sin's dominion and into the kingdom of life and light 
and hope. And therefore, he was eligible to be raised to the highest place, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Because he who was faithful in the lowest place will also be faithful in the highest. So as we come today, and as we eat this bread which is broken, as we drink this cup which is poured out, let's choose today to say, I will be faithful where I am now. I, won't, I will not say, Lord, please give me a better job and then I'll be faithful to you in it. I can influence for you there. But let's determine to follow him here, now, where we are. And let's be determined that if we are brought lower, that we will be faithful still. That in due time, at the right season, the Lord may raise us up. Let's come and receive from the table of the Lord. Let's grab this opportunity while we have it. Monday, from, Monday to Friday, we will go down to Egypt. We will descend from this holy place into many secular places, many vulgar places. So let's take this opportunity now to offer ourselves to the Lord, to say, Lord, use me. Be with me. Let me know that you are with me in all of these places so that we might be okay. So as we sing together, take this chance to offer him your very self. And let's be, let's be charged for all of the, the long roads of this week. Let's stand up. And if you have the faith for it, let's lift our hands and let's sing to the Lord. Father, please help us this week to follow you and to follow you seeking you just the same whether things are high or whether things are low <clears throat> whether things are happy or whether things are sad that Lord we would obey you and love you all the same and Lord above all we ask that we would be sensitive to finding you with us and that you being with us would be what matters to us the most we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. This is the end of our service. Let's uh, go out into all the world and be Joseph's. Amen.